You're listening to a Scottish Poetry Library podcast. Uel, canavishjavik agasad the hiatachgil, kleinjemit the shanga, enjem vessus blaster. Uel, a yali chachrin. Nam foeth ein ar vilse, apith ernu ad ella, mar ger a briahar sienta vam. Uel, gav blasies tu homesolid cumuth de gruai ruai agas aga, uanye ith nio gerak. Uel, rach an chreiv ith sonam feris milsia sherav a hokal sias, gav de lor cair an maia agas tu gad bokuch, and in brin and fachlin, soon a kind and sugru tachnioch sulfur. Uel, comalat, nat of avid de nahid own, na aprig nach ein gut to hagach fer you, fur ein vrieren vessen, oimen grei, echgilis alje. Uel. Apple, translated by Deborah Moffat. See it again, son, your first word, let me hear it on your tongue. The name of the most delicious fruit, apple. The two short syllables, burbling like music in your mouth. Say it again, one more time, as if it were a charm, an incantation, apple. Take a bite, a taste, you love it so, whether green or red, and the shape of it, like your flushed cheeks, apple. Go to the tree to pick the one most sweet, most tart. Have your fill, take more, immerse yourself. In the pith of the words, the essence of the language, the joyful play of it. Apple. Never mind the serpent. Don't let it be said that all of these are meant for you. This abundance of words, of fruit, the sounds of love. This most beautiful rhyme. Apple. Hello and welcome to another episode in the Scottish Poetry Library's podcast series. My name is Colin Waters and for the next 30 minutes or so I'll be your host. This month, our guest is Niall O'Gallagher, and it's a good moment to catch up with Niall, as he's just been appointed the City of Glasgow's first Gaelic laureate. For those who think Gaelic is a language most readily associated with Scotland's highlands and islands, Niall, later in this podcast, shares a counter-history that depicts Glasgow as, in fact, one of Gaelic's linguistic hubs. A former academic who now works for the BBC as a journalist, Niall is the author of two collections, Beata Ur which was published in 2013 by Clare, and, forgive my mispronunciation, Suenantri Latha, which came out in 2016. Having translated the Gaelic poetry of Christopher White into English and Scots, and the Irish poetry of Biddy Jenkinson into Scottish Gaelic, Niall has declined to translate his own poetry, preferring to rely on others, like Deborah Moffat and Peter Mackay, to produce English versions of his poems. You'll hear Niall explain why that's the case during our conversation. But first, some congratulations are in order. So let me begin by congratulating you on becoming the Bard uh, Bala Glasgow. Thank uh, you. Glasgow's first Gaelic uh, laureate. Fantastic. How did you come to be appointed and, and what hopes do you have for the post? Oh, I'm delighted, Colin. I'm just delighted by it. That poem is about my son's first word. The first words of this language that I learned I got from my granddad in Derry in Ireland, words were things like uh, milk and butter that are just the same in Ireland as they are in Scotland, but I learned the rest of 
what I know of the language in Glasgow. And I've always spoken more Gaelic in Glasgow than anywhere else. For me, it's always been, in my life at least, a language of the city. And so, having written a book of Glasgow love poems called Bear Ur, which Clare published in 2013, it was absolutely great for me personally to have um, that recognised and to be asked to accept um, this honour as uh, the first Gaelic Poet Laureate for the city of Glasgow. It's also great, not just for me, but it's great because it allows me to try and draw people's attention to something the Gaelic speakers know, but I'm guessing that some listeners of the Scottish Poetry Library podcast won't know, which is that for a, at least a century, Glasgow has been a centre, if not the centre, of Gaelic poetry publishing and writing and performing. There's a long history of Gaelic poetry in Glasgow culminating in the 20th century and the work of people like Derek Thompson, who spent most of his life in, in Glasgow, wrote about it a lot. Ian Crenn Smith, very famous poet, was actually born in Glasgow. Mm. And so it makes sense for me, it's great for me, but it also makes a lot of sense for Glasgow too. Speaking from my, uh, I must admit, not as informed as it should be position, I tend to think of Gaelic as a sort of highlands and islands um, phenomenon or, or, or tradition or reality, perhaps. But in fact, even even though I know that, I also know about Ian Crichton-Smith, you know, and all the other great Scottish writers who wrote and spoke Gaelic but were actually based in Glasgow or, or the central belt. So I guess your your position will, uh, as you're saying, will be uh, a really good way of addressing this sort of historical misconception. I think it's good for for Glasgow itself in the sense that for me, the Gaelic tradition in Glasgow gives us something, tells us something about the experience of living in Glasgow. A lot of the songs that we sing today in Gaelic, one of the most familiar tropes in Gaelic song is the idea of wishing you were somewhere else. The word in Gaelic is kianalis, nostalgia, but particularly nostalgia for a place. Mm. Obviously, you only write songs about being somewhere else if you're somewhere else. Mm. And so a lot of the songs that we sing today in Gaelic are about be about wanting to be in Tyree or in Skye or in Uis, but they were written in Glasgow, sung in Glasgow to a Gaelic-speaking audience of immigrants, and eventually collected and published in Glasgow. I mean, Glasgow has been, since the 19th century, absolutely the centre of Gaelic publishing. Uh, in Scotland. That really appeals to me too. My family came to Scotland at different times from, from Ireland. On one side of my family, when the family came to Glasgow, to they ended up settling in Govan Hill from Ireland in the 19th century. They changed the name of the family from Mulcahy to Mackay. Mm. So for me to end up in this position of um, being recognised as someone who writes poems in Gaelic about the city of Glasgow is just a wonderful privilege. I wanted to ask about form, actually. So I know you've never written a poem in free verse, your poems are in metre and, and they usually rhyme. Is that a personal preference or are you referencing a particular tradition within Gaelic poetry? I mean, it's both. Free verse doesn't suit me. I don't know how to write free verse. And free verse has, I think, been the dominant mode of what we call Nuovarstoch in Gaelic, of modernist Gaelic poetry since the work of Derek Thompson, who I think is the most influential Gaelic poet of the, of the last century. But it was never going to be for me. So I have to look back further mm. uh, within uh, the Gaelic tradition. After I wrote my first book, I was looking for a kind of an unmarked form to write poetry in, by which I mean I wanted to find a form where readers and listeners to poetry wouldn't immediately go, he's echoing this or he's mimicking that, just an unmarked form. And for me, it couldn't be free verse. Free verse wasn't going to work. So I found it in the classical 
Gaelic and Irish poetry, the poetry that was developed in the poetry schools, you know, creative writing courses in the Gaelic tradition are nothing new. Mm. We had poetry schools and then those meters were used thereafter to write this amazing love poetry on in European styles, but using these older traditional classical meters uh, in, in the Gaelic and Irish tradition. And what they're like is they're really strict about syllable counts. You often have to seven syllables in a line, and they have intricate rhyming, not just at the ends of lines, but also in the middle of lines. And for me, that's great because it gives you this really wonderful paradoxical combination of strictness and sensuality mm. at the same time. Sensuality, so it's a great wow. well, the, the rhymes are so abundant in Gaelic. You know, it's a bit like Italian in the sense that it's easier to rhyme in Gaelic. Modern Gaelic rhyme only takes account of, it doesn't take account of final consonants, it's more assonant to to an English ear. But it has that combination of this abundant rhyme, but this really strict syllable count, which really reins you in and makes sure you have to be quite precise in what you're doing. Maybe the best thing is just to read one. Yes, let's read um, one. This is a poem in a form called Three Rounds Oran, which translates to something like Three Stanzas in a Song. So you get three stanzas in these tight classical quatrains and then it just lets go in this line of, um, these, these four lines of, of song meter. I wrote this poem for my wife, Claire, when she started learning Gaelic. And I don't think of my poems usually as making arguments, but this poem has an argument. It's that if you're looking for a reason to learn Gaelic, then this poem says the best reason to do that is so you'll have more words with which to say, I love you. Anish Gilgalic Akit. Anish Gilgalic Akit, han tilligach galan, gus inche gavil dirt and a torst ovenish to gach raun. Smegra gur metal hunatain, gail magra, nasarsing is nastoinye, nemes meorifan and barst. Breeren ure is glensach, and foimen yahans curl, ho brea. The Hange, Lichin Yaloch, mean or girl. Hanya Fachgil, Giorn, or three kindchen, Gunhrich, get the vast savage vor, I guess Irish is three, I guess Gachnach the boss, as a fagged bree, it's unlaverst, man glory, her dive she could fear. This poem has been translated by Peter Mackay. Now you have Gaelic. Now you have Gaelic, there are so many more words. To say that your face brings joy to my verse. As I say that my love for you, my darling, is wider and more deep than a poet's loose reckoning. Words that are new and lustrous, their sounds slender and broad, so pretty on your tongue, the honey syllables of our love. There aren't words in our three unbounded tongues for all their spleen as they boasted their authority to speak the truth of our love's glory. Just a thought as you were speaking there. I know certain artists actually really welcome restrictions on on our our traditions. You know, certain ways of doing it because it's re- weirdly freeing and liberating. Because once you've got these other things taken care of, you can just concentrate your mind and your creativity on what you really want to talk about, the theme, or or you can innovate within the tradition. Do you find that with the Gaelic? It's 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 free enough on the one hand to allow your voice to come through, but the actual restrictions or traditions or the ways of doing it actually. Um, it becomes not restrictive, it becomes freeing in a sense. I absolutely do think that. I also think that as a reader of poetry, when, I mean, every poet is a reader of poetry first, I think. And uh, for me, it actually sometimes works in the opposite way. 
which is that if the form is really, really hard and really demanding, then your inhibitions are released in the sense that you're too busy concentrating on getting the syllable count right, getting the rhymes right, and you end up saying things that you probably wouldn't have had the courage to say. (laughs) If you had been in a freer form, when your whole attention might be on the, the, the semantic meaning of the words, actually, if your attention is on the craftsmanship, then sometimes your subconscious can have a free run then. Mm. see what it has to say so looking at um, commentary on your work there's there's a fair amount of discussion of how you use classical forms to write about contemporary subjects that's a really interesting thought could you expand on that? I have to admit first of all it's not entirely new no there's nothing new under the sun nothing new under the sun although I think it does stand out a little bit in terms of what my contemporaries are doing in Gaelic some of Sorry McLean's poems in The Dying the Waver, the poems to Waver, are written in classical metres, classical mm. Gaelic metres, although not very much has been said about that. Much more explicitly, and a big influence for me, is the poetry of George Campbell Hay, who was very interested in this, in what they call in Ireland, Filiach Nascola, the poetry of the schools. And he uses that as a model very often in his poetry. I've found his poetry to be a great inspiration in trying to do what I'm trying to do. Also in Ireland you get poets like Betty Jenkinson and, uh, and Michael Hartnett using these um, classical metres. But for Betty Jenkinson it's more of a marked form. It's a form you use when you're trying to do a certain kind of a thing. It's not her day-to-day way of working. Whereas for me, I still write sonnets. Uh, there's a lot of sonnets in my first book and I've gone back to writing sonnets. I still use other forms that are more broadly European mm. in their in their origin. But I wanted to have this kind of base and um, within the tradition which I could use in a more subtle way to talk about, to, to express moods rather than playing tricks all the time, which is how strict metre poet can sometimes feel. Another thing, of course, that's great is that we're talking about part of the Gaelic tradition which is shared with Ireland. This is a a poetry which was composed by poets who were performing and having their poetry shared in manuscripts across Ireland and uh, Gaelic-speaking Scotland. And for me, being a a Scottish person with Irish roots, that's important because that allows me to reach back into Irish poetry too and to take inspiration and models um, from the older literature. But it's also good, and we were talking about this this earlier, column, but the, the idea of the poetry of the city is that I think there's a pressure an unfair pressure, an unfair expectation on Gaelic poetry that it will provide this access to this world before the fall, uh, this kind of pure rural world where everybody speaks in the same way and where pre-modern world is available to us through, through Gaelic poetry. Now, even those poets who have got strong connections to rural Gaelic-speaking communities, I'm thinking about my friend Peter Mackay, who did that last translation, or Ian Crichton-Smith, they have resisted that. These these poets have said, no, you can't live like that. You can't live being someone else's idol. Mm. So you get a poem by some by Ian Crane Smith. Um, I can't remember what it's... Uh, if there's an English version in Gaelic, it's Mishigalik Achanin. If Gaelic was the language they spoke in the garden. And Crane Smith sends that idea up mercilessly. There's a little bit of the Garden of Eden in that apple poem. Yes, I was thinking that. Yeah, you know, yeah. don't let it be said that all of these are meant for you. Never mind the serpent. Um, but for me, writing in the city, I mean, there's a scholar of the old poetry, Eleanor Knott, who says that the classical poets wrote in this artificial literary language. Um, for me, when I read that, I was inspired because that's exactly what the language of the city is too. The city is the place where people come together from all over. It's a place full of libraries and books. It's a place, and I speak Gaelic every day with people from all over in Glasgow. 
and therefore the language gets mixed up, it's a hybrid, it's not pure, it's a mixture. And so when writing poetry, it makes plenty of sense to me to write with a dictionary beside me, not to be afraid of the dictionary, and to draw whatever resources I need from the breadth of language, from wherever it comes, and to decide whether it goes in the poem on a basis, sometimes just of are the right number of syllables in it and does it rhyme, as opposed to is that the language of a particular place. I'm very much in favour of impurity. <laughs> well, I think in poetry there are only two kinds of poems. There are the poems that are, are openly artificial and the poems that pretend not to be, whereas my poetry is openly artificial. Amen to that. Amen to that. A good example of that is a poem, quite a simple poem in a way. It's a beautiful day today. I don't know when this podcast goes out if it'll be just as beautiful but today the depth sun of the depth of winter the sun <laughs> what do you mean july <laughs> what do you mean yeah so today the sun is splitting the stone today and this is a poem about about the summer the idea is just of my son and he's running after um bubbles which have been blown and um, from one of the wee bottles of soap that wayne's use you know and they're brightly colored they're in kind of neon colors um, so in a way it's a very simple image, um, a bit like a Polaroid photograph, but the fun in Gaelic was about trying to write a poem in Gaelic about things like sun cream and neon bottles and plastic and soapy bubbles, but staying within the vocabulary of the Gaelic language itself. Gaelic has been a suppressed language, mm. and one of the consequences of that is that some of its vocabulary is neglected. So in a playful way, not in an overtly political way, in a playful way in this poem, I've said, right, let's open the dictionary and find the words we need to write another love poem about this very modern image. Crab botholorg and chiabain, segrian, a jar sigorn, a shage, spree gach bulligan, hikna hulgahan, hoth gach kuriach, gach hegrain, ye vilshe, evis rui, tungarig is jay planage feek, Cus cavacors to cluich ye cria rien na grainia agatain. A garchi you for voi utrum na dulox at a bluach grook and gilia, and a mean na real course, she cunya key, a hunnet, a vich garlands to gamakal na de ye. Debra Moffat again has translated this poem. In my Gallic poem, I just used the first line in, in place of a title, but Debra's called this uh, translation A Shake of the Bottle. A shake of the golden bottle of soap, the sun shining on us and, blow, the beautiful bubbles flow in a flood of iridescence. Give to me the fragrance of the sweet sun cream scream and run through the garden too fast after a tiny planet playing at the heart of your own solar system where all the planets hang suspended in the pool of gravity, each one of them getting ever closer to the boy in the middle of the orbit, you my beautiful young son, you are the universe, and you, my son, are leaving me behind. I've been very lucky, Colin, with my translators. Really lucky. Both Peter Mackay and Deborah Moffat are friends, but they're also poets whose work I really enjoy. They're very, very skilled poets. And just reading that translation again, my poem in Gaelic is full of those rhymes we talked about, those complicated internal rhymes. And, and Deborah manages to echo that with things like fragrance and iridescence, blow and flow, and she has all this assonance going on, these echoes. But she also, we often talk about translation using the vocabulary of loss. We talk about what's lost in translation. Um, and as someone writing in Gallagher, you want to insist on that a lot of the time. You want to say, no, you need to read 
or at least acknowledge the existence of this poem as a thing in its own space, in its own language that matters. But I also want to talk about what is gained in translation. So reading that poem again on the train this morning, there's obviously a pun in the translation between sun in the sky and sun the wee boy. And when it ends with this, you, my beautiful young son, none of that's in the Gaelic. There's no pun. There's half a rhyme in the Gaelic poem between avik, son, and grian. There's a half rhyme there. But what Deborah does is that she uses this pun that only exists in English to give something which isn't there but replaces or compensates for what inevitably can't be brought over from Gaelic. As you say that, what, what's, you know, when you get a translation back, what's your initial, you know, very first moment you read it, your gut instinct? Are you like, oh, you see something, you see that the other poet's seen something in your work that you hadn't detected? What's your, your feeling? Is it odd? Do you feel odd for a second? It's actually really hard to get the necessary distance to properly, on first reading, understand what someone else has done with a poem. The first reaction is always delight because when you have another poet doing a translation of your work, that's, that's great. But you don't always understand immediately what it is they've done because you're too busy playing your own poem through your head. For me, these translations are aimed at readers who don't speak Gaelic, they're aimed at readers of poetry who will read them in English. And so they don't have the Gaelic poem in their head. They can approach them with a clean slate. And it's very hard as a, as a poet to read a translation of your own work with a clean slate. After a while, though, when you try and do that and you read and you reread, you, you come to appreciate more and more what's happening. And we had that wonderful translation from Peter Mackay there with all those rhymes and the stuff about the honey syllables. I mean, very, very fine poetry that Peter's done there. Or I think about the first poem we read, the Apple poem, where it was really difficult for, the, for, for any translator because I say something in Gaelic about the... Um, there is this line where it says... I think it's just the, the second stanza where I say literally about it's two rounded broad syllables. The Gaelic word is ual, which has these two kind of mellifluous syllables. But the English word apple is a short percussive mm. word, luckily with two syllables. So Deborah has to do something else because she has to make a poem that works in English. So she actually says in her translation the two short syllables, whereas the Gaelic poem says the two broad syllables. Mm. Because I'm talking about the physical word ual, and she's talking about the physical word apple. It takes a particular kind of intelligence to do that as a translator, and I'm very grateful to both of them. I mean, we should mention, we should raise the subject that, you know, you obviously speak English yourself as well, you can write English. Some might think, why don't you do your own translations, so why don't you do why don't you do your own translations? This is a question to which I could give a different answer for each day of the week. For me it's absolutely centrally important decision um, that I made that I wasn't going to do this. And it's paid off because what that's created is a space for other people to come in and do these translations of my poems that I'm very grateful for and that I think are, are, are just great. One of the things is just about the language itself, which is to say that every poem that I translate into English is one less reason to learn Gaelic. And so as someone who cares deeply about the language, I think it's a very dangerous thing to do to translate your own poetry into a language which over the course of the last several hundred years has been in a process of driving it to the edge of its existence. 
And I think we've seen that in the work of people like Ian Crichton Smith, where the big beautiful edition of his poems by Carcanet doesn't tell us which of those poems were originally in Gaelic. There's only recently been an edition of all of Ian Crichton Smith's Gaelic poems. He wrote over 300 poems in Gaelic. Mm. And Murray Watson has recently published them in Gaelic, and that's an absolute treasure trove. But for many years, and because I think particularly it wasn't just there was a translation, I think if you've got someone like Peter Mackay or Deborah Moffat who are great translating your poetry for you, well, as soon as I say their name, then the reader or the listener to the podcast knows they're hearing a translation. It's something other than the poem itself. But if you translate them yourself, there's a, a real danger, I think, that the, they'll be considered equivalent and that the Gaelic effectively becomes obsolete. There are more kind of deeper personal reasons than that for it, though. I mean, we're so used to seeing Gaelic poems in Scotland, although it's changing and space is opening up for different approaches, but we're so used to seeing Gaelic poems on the page with face English translations as a bit like a butterfly with two wings, and it, which gives the, the appearance that the two sides are identical, but it's, they're not identical at all. And I wrote an essay recently in the Gaelic magazine's Jowl, a polemical essay called Butterfly Hunting, Shell Challenge, but I argue that the bilingual poem is a bit like a butterfly in a glass case. Mm. It's beautiful, but it can't fly. Pinned. It's pinned, yeah. exactly. It's pinned, and the reason it's pinned is because poems rely on ambiguity, don't they? They rely on the possibility of being read in different ways, understood in different ways by readers. If there's a self-offered translation on the facing page, then every ambiguity has to be pinned down. You have to choose between them. Other translators will do the same thing, but at least then the, the listener or the reader will know they've had to make a choice. The poem is still free to be retranslated, re-understood and re-read. Joseph Brodsky says that what translation has in common with censorship, and I'm paraphrasing, he was writing about Anna Ahmatova, is that they're both about the art of the possible. Hmm. And so what is it possible to say? That's what a censor asks. What of this can we publish? Can hmm. we allow it to be published? And what a translator, even the best translator, has to say is, what can I possibly do with this poem in the language that I'm using? Um, so for me, and I've written about this too, a very, very personal sense I have that self-translation would just amount to self-censorship because mm. what it would mean for me is if I accept when I'm writing poetry in Gaelic that at some stage I'm going to have to rewrite it in English, then that's going to... Everyone who lives their life in more than one language, which is the majority of the people on earth, knows that there are things that you can say in one language that you can't say in another. And if I write knowing I'm going to have to self-translate, then I'm restricting myself to only publishing those things that I can say or want to say in English. Mm. That's fascinating, is it? The idea that even just by holding open the possibility of doing a translation, you'll end up affecting the original version. I don't trust myself not to make it easier. I mean, if I knew that that was a possibility, then I... And I was thinking, oh, that, actually, that would work well in English. I'll cheat. Mm. And I'll not go for the thing which is perfect in Gaelic because I know that... Um, other writers may not have these difficulties, but for me, those are just things which are off-limits. And I also just feel like the idea that you have to translate your poetry into English feels like policing to me. It does feel like censorship. Well, allow you to have some Gaelic poems, but you've got to put it into English as so well. So that we can see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like a censor. Like, yeah. a, like a policing action, yeah. like, you know. And after my granddad died in when I was a teenager, I mean, I didn't hear the language spoken at all for a few years until I moved to Glasgow, and then it was all around me, and um, both in 
with Irish speakers in Govan Hill and Scottish Gaelic speakers in, in, in Partick. But in that interim period, there was a time when I was just reading and, and studying myself in my bedroom. Um, and this was a space for me that was completely safe, where anything could be said, where there was no policing. And so maybe I'm a bit too prickly for a guy that writes love poems, but I just feel like whenever anyone says to me, can you translate, translate that into English? I feel like I'm being policed. And so my reaction is to say, no, thank you. They want to check you're working. <laughs> so, last question. If we had to choose a keynote emotion that runs through many of your poems, that emotion would be love. Although yeah. not necessarily romantic love. You know, there's all kinds of love, isn't there? There is. I mean, yeah, I've been a love poet so far mostly. And uh, yes, a romantic love poet, an erotic love poet. The only poem of mine which has been published in English translation, um, going back to the previous discussion, is in Peter Mackay's anthology, Alior Leah, which is a book of erotic Gaelic poetry. Mm. The English title is, uh, I think, The Light Grey... No, The Light Blue Book. Gaelic word Leah can be grey or blue, so I was getting confused there. I don't have it here. And that's an erotic love poem. But yeah, there's also poems about romantic love. There's poems... Um, about the love a parent has for his children particularly the experience of being a new dad we heard some of those poems um, already love poems are hard to write mm. you know and I think that one of the things that poetry has to be about is about creating new ways of saying things that we haven't heard before and in love poetry in the European tradition that's really hard to do so whether or not I've been successful in the attempt I console myself by saying that yeah he writes, he writes love poems but that's not an easy thing because finding new ways of saying some of these things, which don't sound like cliché, is a challenge. You know, and cliché has to be the death of poetry. So how do you make it new? By trying to find just just a way in. Just trying to find a way in which is which I haven't thought of before. Sometimes that's to do with a phrase or, or an image. It's trying to find an angle onto it, which is not the same as you've read a million times before in Petrarch or whatever. And I love Petrarch. But the point is that every generation we have to find new ways of saying these things. And, you know, when I'm writing poetry and when I'm thinking about an audience and who an audience might be, well, of course, I know people who um, have read my poems and, and that's great. And But I also think about, about the ways I think about the children, my own children, but also the other children growing up with Gaelic. And I think they're going to need poems to later on in life they're going to need poems when they fall in love or when they have children or when they have difficulties in their life and so the job is to try and write the poems that are going to speak maybe in within the tradition maybe in the language that we've inherited but are going to speak authentically to now and maybe even to a wee bit further ahead than now and that wraps it up for another episode in the Scottish Poetry Library's podcast series thank you dear listener well, for listening. Uh, thanks to Niall Gallagher for coming in and uh, talking to us. I'm sure it'll be a huge success as Glasgow's Gaelic Laureate. We'll certainly be following um, his progress with much interest here at the library and helping to promote whatever ventures he uh, takes part in as the Laureate. Thanks also to Will Campbell, who wrote the music and played the music and produced the music that you heard at the start and you'll hear at the end of the show. If you're interested in all the various doings, and there are many doings um, here at the Poetry Library, our projects and whatnot, there's a very easy way to keep up with what we're doing between podcasts, and that, of course, is by visiting our website, 
which can be found at www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk. We also um, do Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at By Leaves We Live. We have a Facebook page and we're also on Instagram these days. Uh, so, without much further ado, I'm going to hand back to Niall and we'll have one last poem. This is a Glasgow love poem called Bear Ur. This has been a really lucky poem for me because um, it's been turned into a song, um, translated into Irish by Owen McIlavrige and put to music by his brother Dominic McIlavrige, who's a brilliant Shannon singer and composer. Um, I wrote it for my wife. Um, it's a wedding poem and uh, Dominic joked when he first sang this on the stage in Godor, I was there that night, he said my understanding is that Niall wrote this poem to avoid having to buy his wife a wedding present <laughs> <laughs> um, which was fun um, but it's also now a very um, beautiful poem by Peter Mackay in English and I normally do this sort of thing after I've read it but I think we're probably going to end here so I'll just say this which is that this poem, which is a very, very simple poem, um, I write poems that can be complex and that can be technically or linguistically complex, but I think sometimes when you're working on the complex stuff, the best stuff actually comes very quickly and appears deceptively simple. And this is a poem with that. And it does something that the Gaelic song tradition does a lot. We are talking about Gaelic songs earlier. This technique of monorhyme, so that every second line throughout the poem um, rhymes on exactly the same sound so it's obsessive and it's got this thread going all the way through it of it's not an ABAB poem it's an AAAAAA poem and go, and go on and on and on obviously that's impossible to do in English or if you, you were to try to do it that probably wouldn't be very effective so Peter's done something else um, and you'll hear what he's done when, when I get to reading it Bear Ur Sean Fachlin Lishintoshik Shane Bear ur le dochus agus gra, Sean a gallion a chumashing, a yanyan chige sheregin a bash, Sean a billin lishin pogshing, a curder star as tolochish as ay, Sean a soulin lishin koichin, y the grain do foas a yalich lang, Sean a cassin lishin gamenichshing, fulini shilgin a rail tenarst, Sean talu for an kudshing, a varoya falu agus ban. Sean Bala for Angoshikshin, Kola, Jinu Gada, Gastraj, Sean Hajikin and Jaching, Ishin Yashul, Dulavsen, I'm alive, Sean Yapi for Amfaishin, Tlach, Troichin and Gubrishigla, Sean Ashikin Gala, Lishin Shalshin, for Dahi, Ashog, Uchid, Harkrai, Sean Afanyanor, Vaidshin, Nach Brishje, Get the Ruyus, Gachrai, Sean Girl, Gan Smal, Hetering. New Life, translated by Peter Mackay. Hear the words with which we'll start a new life with hope and love. Hear the promises we will keep, time, death, decay in spite of. Hear the lips with which we'll kiss and add to our joy all kinds of. Hear the eyes with which we'll see the sun go down, the moon full of. Hear the feet with which we'll step from lower paths to the highest stars of. Here is the earth where we will reap what was before bare in need of. Here is the town in which we'll walk, laughing together each street of. Here are the places where we'll go, 
when we travel hand in hand of here is the bed where we will get delight through night till break of day of here are white sheets with which we'll sail from our home here to the land beyond pain of here are gold rings which we will give which won't break in spite each season's run of here is the love without fault we'll share which quickens each line each verse each song of for downloading this Scottish Poetry Library podcast. For further information about the Scottish Poetry Library, visit our website at www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk, follow us on Twitter at By Leaves We Live, and find us on Facebook.